Todd Shapiro is the CEO of Red Light Holland, the only publicly traded psychedelics company that's focused on the recreational psychedelics market. In this hour-long conversation with Todd, we touch on the recreational market and how recent changes to laws might impact the future of that market, including laws like Oregon's Measure 109. We also talk about the interplay between two of the most exciting industries in the world right now, virtual reality and psychedelics, and how those two industries might help shape and reinforce each other. And at the end of the conversation, I ask the question that I always ask of the CEOs of publicly traded psychedelics companies, is Red Light Holland undervalued? I had a great time talking with Todd. He brought tremendous energy to the conversation, and I can't wait for you to hear the interview with him. But first, I have a few things I need to get out of the way. As I mentioned at various points during the interview, I do run a venture capital fund that is focused on psychedelic startups. If you're an accredited investor and you're interested in getting involved in some startups in the psychedelic space through a venture capital vehicle, go to empath.vc. Again, that's empath.vc. And there's some contact info there. You can shoot me an email and I'll get in touch with you and tell you more about the venture fund. Again, that's empath.vc. You can also just email me at hello at empath.vc. Also, if you like this interview with Todd and you want to see me do more interviews with interesting people in the psychedelic space, help me grow the reach of this channel by liking this YouTube video, subscribing to the YouTube channel, following this podcast on any podcast platforms that you might happen to listen to it on, leave a review on iTunes. All that stuff really helps grow the audience and attract higher profile guests to the program. And finally, this is not financial advice. Do not make any sort of buying, selling, trading, investing decisions, whatever, based on what is said in this video. Only make those decisions because you've done your own research and have consulted with a financial advisor that has their interests aligned with your own. And full disclosure, I do own some shares in Red Light Holland as well as other companies in the psychedelic space. Now, with all that out of the way, let's get to the conversation with Todd Shapiro, CEO of Red Light Holland. Enjoy. Todd Shapiro, thank you so much for coming on the show. You know, I've been wanting to talk to you for a while, and so I'm glad that we were able to, you know, make this happen. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. Thank you, Brom, for having me. It's Brom, right? B R O M. Brom, B R O M. That's right. Yep. Is there a short form for Brom? Like, what, what's well, Brom short for? Brom is not short for anything. It's my real name, and it's just Brom. Yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of a okay. strange one. You know, I honestly, I've tried to find out what it means, where it's from, and as far as I can tell, my parents just knew someone else named that, and they just copied it. Um, but there's no, there's no background. Meaning. Well, uh, yeah, it's it's kind of like a Germanic, you know, Scandinavian type background. But even if you look in those countries, it's not a common name. So. It's just kind of a weird okay, one-off like thing. It. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's, um, you know, I, I got to live up to the uniqueness of the name, though. So it's kind of, you know, like a, a <laughs> tall order. <laughs> um, I, I'm curious about your background, though. You know, you had this background in radio. You had the show on Sirius. How do you go from becoming a radio guy to a guy running a, you know, psychedelic mushroom company? What, what was that journey like? Yeah, really, it, it came down to passion for me. Um, I had done media for approximately 20 years and, you know, listen, like anything in life, right? Lots of ups, lots of downs, a lot of ups. So like it was a really good career for me. I'm not going to lie. We had a lot of fun and um, really amazing stuff. And then I just started. Um, it was really interesting. Like I was very fortunate. I spoke to some of the biggest people in the world in terms of, you know, whether they're comedians or athletes or scholars, you name it. And, and it really was an amazing way to earn a living and, and, and a, not only financially, but also in terms of like just having fun for a living. But I, I quite candidly, I didn't, I was always trying to be proactive in my career and, and I didn't want to end up um, really like a media, like an old media host grasping at straws. And, and I see that happen a lot in media because let's be honest, you get replaced with the younger, better looking, more following, you know, cheaper to pay out first from the conglomerates and then those types of organizations. So I was trying to be proactive. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And then through the radio show, Brom, what had happened is it, for some reason, like all these little signs kept coming back to magic mushrooms. And by that, I mean, and I watch your podcast, by the way, you're great at it. You, you not only provide information, but you have long form natural conversation. And, and through those long form natural conversations, you get people to open up at times. And, you know, myself, I'm candid. I open up as well. And, and for some reason, I learned so much about people who are microdosing and using magic mushrooms and all this kind of stuff that I, I just kept doing big, deep dives into the space, 
realize that as a person who had used magic mushrooms in the day, like this is something I wanted to learn more for. And, and to be honest, I kind of felt like it was a new passion while the company can't make medical claims, Red Light Holland. For me, it was, well, if there's any sort of way there might be a potential to help with a mental health crisis. And that what was, was going on with a lot of my guests. They were depressed, anxious, unsure of their futures, all this kind of things. Um, but microdosing seemed to help them. And, and really that's where it started. I said, you know what? screw it. I'm going to go and try to raise, uh, raise some money for the first time in my life, which I did. I'd never asked my network for money, raised about $4 million to take the company public and decided to have a go at it. And I think it's been a pretty good go over the last year. Yeah. I mean, you'd certainly made a lot of progress in that time. So you had this sort of platform already. Do you think that gave you an advantage when you were going out and raising money in a way? Because I'm sort of doing something similar. I have a finance background, but I'm using this platform that I have to try and raise a venture fund that's going to focus on you know psychedelic medicine. And so I'm kind of curious, did, were you able to use that radio host platform to your advantage when you were you know raising money in some way, like leverage that following? It's so weird because most of my life, I talked about myself as a product. If you think about it, I had my own show. Had So because you're your own product, like for instance, if you were in the business of selling, um, you know, Pepsi or Coca-Cola or an energy drink, you would show that energy drink or whatever it was and try to get it on as many products and shelves as possible. Sorry, as many shelves as possible. And, and for me, I kind of had a career where I had to get myself on as many shelves as possible. More listeners, more of a market share more liked. And because of that, I networked a lot. So, so to answer your question, I leaned into a, a, you know, 20 years worth of networking and that networking was some like pretty wealthy individuals. You know, I would go out, I would do the wanting and dining. I would seek advertising money for the show. So yeah, I would say that I really tapped into an incredible network of people. And the other thing is I was really lucky, you know, before social media and before Instagram and before, you know, any of the Facebooks and the huge followings people have on TikToks and stuff, there was really like movies, TV or radio. And radio was like the lowest end of the totem pole, right? Like we were, we were like, the, like, like just, you know, the bottom line there, but we were accessible. And, and, and I, you know, like I always joke, I was a D-lister celebrity at best, but I met a-listers in every single significant sector there was. And I leaned into a lot of these A-listers, which people had a lot of money who helped with that initial $4 million raise for sure. Yeah. And, uh, you know, even if you're just a D-list celebrity, <laughs> as you describe, um, your, your job was basically being a professional communicator and business is all about communication at the end of the day, right? So I think that like developing that communication skill is like certainly probably served you pretty well uh, when you're going out and raising <laughs> Yeah. And listen, if you don't mind me adding to that, like I was very anxious going into this, right? Where, where, you know, I'm the CEO of a public, first it started private, raised money, took it public. And I knew what was going to happen. I knew what people were going to say, oh, how does a radio show host, you know, become the leader and the CEO of, of a publicly traded company? And, and, and honestly, man, Brom, you nailed it. I really believe if you think about how CEOs need to communicate, part of their job is like, really showing the outside what's going on with the inside and then keeping the inside of the organization connected with how feel people are feeling and the momentum and stuff on what the, on what the market and the, and the outside is, is showing the sentiment towards. So yes, you need to be able to communicate that very well. And also you need to be able to get into a room of 20 people. A lot of them have money and a lot of them are being pitched eight to 10 ideas a day. Like you're going on shark tank or dragon's den. And how do you resonate and connect that communication, that instant kind of, first pitch, that elevator pitch, so to speak. But then of course the hard work and follow through has to resonate. And I think I re luckily resonated very well. And, and I do owe that to a media career for sure. Yeah, I, I believe it. Um, you see some, sometimes you'll see people like attempt to go out and pitch and they just don't know how to present their product. And it's like, man, well, good luck. Better, better hire someone that can do that communicating for you. <laughs> so it's, it's much better if you have that skill set built in, but how did you, um, you decide you're going to get involved in psychedelic mushrooms. How do you then decide to tackle the recreational side of the market, right? Because um, we've seen many companies go after the more pharmaceutical side, but to my knowledge, Red Light is the only, If maybe, maybe there are others out there, but I'm pretty sure it's the only company really going after that recreational side. So that, yeah, that's kind of the, a contrarian the, bet in itself. 
Listen, I, I don't look at it like that as contrarian. I look at it as, as like, what is true to us? What are true to our beliefs? And, and what are people going to believe in because of the hard work we put behind it? So for me, when I did the initial raise, there were a lot of talks when we were private to really explore, you know, more of a medical route and not these magic truffles in the Netherlands. And I was just honest with everybody. I'm a super transparent, candid individual. And, and for me, I said, you know, I don't know if I can go and raise money based on the fact that Todd Shapiro, radio guy, is taking a pharmaceutical company public. I just think there's a disconnect there. It wasn't that I didn't love the idea because I thought it's a great idea for some. And obviously, some companies are proving out how great of an idea it is. But for me, it's not just true to what I am. What I, what I am is a, first and foremost, a believer on providing responsible access to psilocybin right now. I think that every adult should have that opportunity. Um, and, and, you know, I believe that it, it, it's worked for me personally, anecdotally. I see, you know, these thousands of case studies essentially all over the internet that you can read anecdotally how it's helping people. I know a ton of people it's happened for. You can even speak to individuals within these pharmaceutical organizations. The reason why they are trying to work with a synthetic, uh, I can't talk today for some reason, a synthetic form of, of psilocybin, it's because they a lot of them had great experiences with the natural occurring product itself and then decided to go the other route, which sort of confuses me. So, you know, first and foremost, it had to be genuine and authentic. And I think that what we're doing and why we go, we're going mostly the recreational route is because it's true to us. We're branders, we're marketers, and we're believers of this access route. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I can see that. And like you said, you know, Todd Shapiro scientist is maybe a different route that's like a little bit more difficult to sell. But yeah, yeah with, Dr. With- <laughs> Shapiro is many of my cousins, but it's not me. So. Right. so of course, the challenge with the recreational then is you're going up against, you know, all the laws in different countries prohibiting the sale of this stuff. So what do you think needs to happen? And what's sort of the timeline for Red Light Holland's products to be available in the markets where people are actually listening to this show, which is, you know, uh, much of Europe outside of Amsterdam, Canada, the United States, that sort of thing? Yeah, let me start by saying I'm so proud of Red Light Holland. Um, if people think about the idea that we're working with what some deem a drug, I don't like to refer to it as a drug, um, and it's banned in many of the countries across the world, that regulatory, the regulatory process is, is really the most important. The legal opinions, um, what the experts are saying, uh, how regulatory bodies like, say, what's going on with Measure 109 in Oregon right now are being presented. So why I'm proud of Red Light Holland is because we've worked within all these frameworks. And listen, we're a publicly traded company, so clearly we have to. Uh, and there are underground illicit markets everywhere. I mean, people are buying magic mushrooms in tinctures, in gummies, in, in pill forms, uh, capsules, really like really openly. I mean, there are Instagram pages and people can find these products. Yeah. So honestly, kind so of, it's amazing that there are like Instagram pages where people will sell this stuff. I still don't totally understand that, but you're right. Sorry. Didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. No, no, I don't mind. I don't mind interruption at all. And, and, and the, the thing with that is it shows that there's not much of a crackdown. So governments know this stuff exists. They're, 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 not, they're not like naive to it. They obviously understand that it's going on. And, and it's not like if it was a cocaine page on, on Instagram, you could sure as hell know that that would have been locked down and there would have been a big bust happening for sure. But there's like this, there's this sort of interesting leniency with magic mushrooms. And why I relate that back to Red Light Hall and why I'm so proud of us is because we are working again within those legal frameworks. So one day, if you're to forecast, much like we saw with Canadian cannabis, what happened to the ones that weren't complying with government regulations or those who weren't trying to have a very careful process on how they would sell cannabis? Well, they got cinder blocks or big you know, cement blocks put in front of their dispensaries or they got raided in their, grow, in their illegal grow ops. So you know, for us, working slowly, patiently, carefully having at one point, you know, we were working with the public affairs team. We also, you know, have really significant people on our board of directors and of course on the advisory board of our company. So there's a reason why we structured it, say with a former Canadian health minister. And there's a reason why we have an individual who, you know, very well, Bruce Linton as the chair of our advisory board, because 
it's okay to grow things slowly. If you think about canopy growth, where they were years and years and years before, not only could you get you know cannabis really on a widespread medical route, but but through the of course the regulatory legal route took a lot of time. So we actually think we're way ahead of that, meaning that we can work in certain markets right now, start building the brand. And back to your other question is like sort of what's the what's the time frame? It's really hard to have a crystal ball in front of me. When are they going to legalize psilocybin? When are they going to allow for it? But what I do think is going to happen, and you know, I hope I don't sound like a broken record here to people who have watched me over and over on other types of you know shows and podcasts and stuff, Rom. But it's the idea that just look at the pave, uh, the, the 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 ground that's been paved through cannabis. It started with compassionate grounds with cannabis. It was there for those who had you know end of care, terminally ill, AIDS patients, etc. And then eventually we saw it became legal. And we're starting to see very similar exemption 56 is granted for those who are end of care and those who have severe trauma. And I think those are going to start to open up more as a lot of great organizations are working within the governments to write actually what a regulatory framework would look like. And I think it's going to be sooner rather than later, but I also don't want to mislead any potential investor to hold me true to that statement. That's just my personal opinion on it. But I do know what really needs to happen is more companies like ours, actually, and I don't mind competition, I'm not afraid of them, need to work within the regulatory frameworks and show that we're doing it responsibly. Education, telecounseling support apps, which we have, another app to get consensual data from users to actually track and learn and discover, helping people find their proper dose, all this kind of beautiful stuff that Red Light Holland is doing. And I think most importantly, you got to pay your taxes. You know, you got to have audits and show that um, your, your grow ops and your and, and your great farming facilities are run by, you know, very clean and ethical procedures. And then I think um, one of the most important things too is the voice of the people. The voice that it, it is social media movements are so powerful these days, Brahm, that if people are using magic mushrooms and if people anecdotally keep saying, you know what, that hero dose really helped me with the proper guidance. And these microdoses I'm taking on a Paul Stamets protocol, which seems to work for me, is amazing. And I want more people to know about that. People can demand these, this type of stuff. And, and if people are really enjoying it and are finding anecdotally that it's benefiting them, it's so silly and inconceivable the concept to me that governments wouldn't want to allow this to a help individuals in a mental health crisis and b collect tax dollars on it and work with reputable companies that aren't you know growing them where people aren't washing their hands right and not wearing internets that kind of stuff right and and you know that movement is already happening and i agree with you that it's important that we see companies in the space operate ethically i think if you you mentioned on the one hand there's this leniency about all these instagram pages that are selling you know branded psilocybin gummies but if there are too many of those that might cause you know a backlash so it's important that there are companies like red light holland and others you know hopefully in the future that do operate within those guidelines but um you know you mentioned organs measure 109 and as someone who lives in the u.s this is like especially interesting to me um, I don't know how much time you guys have spent looking at the language of that bill. Do you think that the language of that law will allow Red Light Holland to potentially operate in Oregon to, to at least some extent? Yeah, listen, we've spent a tremendous amount of time looking at that bill. Um, we are working with Halo Labs. We formed Red Light Oregon. Uh, Halo Labs was, was formed in Oregon. So their legal teams and the legal teams that we've worked with are, are teams that have been a huge part of not only what cannabis was, but you know potentially what psilocybin may be. And um, Sarah Hashkes, who's our chief technology and innovation officer, and she was the, well, still is the CEO of Radix Motion, but a company that we, we acquired. Um, I mean, she, if, if there's anyone who is like a, a, a brilliant brain who can work through exactly how these regulations are being written, um, I'm really excited for what Sarah's reporting on to us. It really looks like in Oregon that they're more focused on a screening and an educational model, meaning that it's not just a prescribed model for people. Of course, is it considered therapeutic? Yes, but it's not just going to be prescribed to some and not others. 
from what I understand, they're going into it where all adults will have the same ability to access psilocybin once written. And again, screenings are important education. That's something, by the way, Red Light Holland is trying to do right now, learning about our consumers, giving them an education about it with virtual reality experiences and the iMicro app that I mentioned earlier. So yeah, we're, we're working um, closely with Sarah and our team from Halo. Katie Fields is her name, part of part of Halo Labs. And, and I think, um, you know, we're, our, the goal is obviously to work very closely with our legal team in Oregon and, and, and try to work closely with the individuals who are actually writing the measure themselves. Cool. So still sort of uncertain, but the work is being done to uh, make sure that it happens. That, that's cool. That's exciting. Um, so maybe I'll get to take a trip up to Oregon at some point in the next couple, you know, years, months, and, uh, you know, see the product for myself, maybe. <laughs> we'll see. Um, one thing that I yeah, think and, and, and I will ahead. say it's a bit of a time consuming process, I'm right? Sure. They're not going to rush this. Um, this is going to be massively precedent setting for the United States and, and many other countries. Um, but it, it's a huge positive step in the right direction. And, and Red Light Oregon, Red Light Holland is, is being super proactive on how we could be the first to market there when that eventual market opens up. Yeah, that's awesome. And as you mentioned, this is really going to be precedent setting for, you know, at least the much of the Western world, it will be one of the first places. And so uh, even if it takes a little bit of extra time, it's probably important to make sure it's done right because other people will be copying and watching very closely. Um, you mentioned all of these different uh, virtual reality apps, the health tracker apps. And that is one thing that I think is interesting that you guys are doing. Like while you're waiting for the laws to change, you can sell your main product. You have these other products out there. Um, the funds that I run, we, we've heard a lot of pitches from companies that are doing virtual reality related to psychedelics. And um, I've gotten chances to try some of those experiences and they're pretty mind blowing, like a lot better than you might expect. What is the future of like virtual reality and psychedelics, maybe just in general, but also like as Red Light Holland is working on it? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, what we did was we created a virtual reality experience that we wanted in smart shops. And smart shops is where you buy magic truffles in the Netherlands. So right now, currently, we're in about 28 smart shops and I think a couple of online shops. But the 28 smart shops, eventually what we'll be doing is trying to approach every single one and setting up a display with them saying, hey, can we put these virtual reality headsets in? And I think they're in a couple now um, that give users that experience to learn about psilocybin. It's written by a former neuroscientist, Sarah Hashkas, um, you know, voiced in both Dutch and English. And it is uh, one of them is narrated in the English one is by Russell Peters, actually, which is kind of neat for the company. Um, and, and there is a female voice as well, female and male voice. And the idea is to really learn about, you know, what psilocybin is, where it comes from, how it's connecting to your brain. You know, you can hold neurons, you can play xylophones and understand why sounds and colors are way more vibrant. And it's about the idea of education, but also do you feel comfortable with the process? And if you don't feel comfortable with it, the store clerk would then be said, you know, you know then, then actually be told to say to you, maybe, maybe this product isn't for you. Because um, the idea is we really want to be careful on how we sell it and who we sell it to. So it's, it's amazing. In terms of like virtual reality and maybe what you've seen, I don't know if, if Red Light Holland is so bullish on experiences to try to replicate um, you know, the, what you're feeling when you use psilocybin, magic truffles, magic mushrooms. Well, I think, I think we're worried that the whole point of, of magic truffles and the whole point of magic mushrooms and the whole point of psilocybin is to really get outside of your subconscious and to, and to like really let go of yourself a little bit and connect, connect to, to whatever trauma you may be experiencing, connect to others. If you've had issue connecting to others and, and a virtual reality experience actually doesn't allow you a great connection vehicle. It, it, it sort of illuminates your own beautiful kind of world and space vehicle. So I think we're, you know, we're super careful. We see some companies pitching us wanting some of our money to say like, yeah, psilocybin experiences on virtual reality could be groundbreaking. And right now we're not quite there yet. We're not convinced of the data. Um, is it a potential that there is a merger or something like that down the road with a company like this? We're not into any talks, by the way. Then, yeah, if they can convince us that it is beneficial. Right now, I would say that Sarah and I, Sarah Hashkas, 
we don't necessarily know that the virtual reality experience trying trying to replicate or or be for therapeutic purposes is is of essence right now for psychedelics. I yeah. don't think they they necessarily fit, but I will say to learn about it, it's friggin' amazing. Yeah, I I don't necessarily think I think that the companies that are trying to replicate and replace psychedelics using virtual reality are misguided, but um the educational aspect there's also this big aspect of sort of um, simulating what it might be like to have an out-of-body experience. If you're someone who's, you know, maybe an older person that is curious about psychedelics but has never done them, but is a sort of afraid to take that leap, it's like you can try having an out-of-body experience in virtual reality first. And if you're comfortable with that, then maybe you go into the real thing. And then I think the real benefit is like potentially using um, virtual reality assisted like guided meditations to help do sort of the integration process of psychedelics right because we know from the studies um that maps has done to like the integration work after you've done a large dose of psychedelics is like very key if you're actually trying to use psychedelics as a tool for change and having like uh virtual reality integration sessions might be interesting but i don't know that's just it's something that's been on my mind a lot lately so i'm kind of just i've been turning it over quite a bit because it's very interesting and the technology is uh, you know very sexy um, but outside yeah, the, of the tech sounds yeah. sexy for sure. Yeah. The tech sounds sexy. It, it's, it's, um, it's, it's ensuring that, um, I mean, there's nothing like a, a, an experience under psilocybin. Uh, there's nothing quite like that. And, and especially around the right company and set and setting and everything that people have heard. Um, and, and in my opinion, the therapies and, and, and the healing that can come with that. Um, and, and I just don't know if trying to replicate it through VR is the way to go. Either. Yeah, I would agree. I, I'm certainly not going to be giving up my mushrooms for uh, Oculus Rift anytime soon. That's for sure. Um, if anything, it'll be used in conjunction, but you guys, um, virtual reality is not the only technology that y'all are pursuing, right? Is you have this, uh, is it wisdom truffle that it's called? the the different little mushroom figurine things what what's the, yeah. what's the story with those i was reading the page it's very interesting i like especially that there seemed to be this underlying theme of helping people have better relationships with their digital devices um, which i think is very important because everyone will probably agree with me that we're getting like un unhealthily addicted to our phones and that sort of thing so can you talk a little bit about that and what the goals are sort of for sure um it's really interesting. So here we are talking on Zoom and and people are so consumed with this form of communication now. And and really, I got to tell you, Brian, I don't know how you feel, but I, I'm actually getting quite annoyed and sick of it all. I really yeah. am. Like just Zoom, I, Zoom I miss, fatigue is, is real, man. It's like hard to do it, so many Zoom sure calls. Real. And I miss the energy of people. I miss being in the same room with people. Um, I'm hoping things can open up again. Now I think everybody's fearing the new Delta variant. So can it or will it? Who knows? Um, it, it is, it is we, we are so ingrained into our phones. I'll give you a short little story. Um, do you have children? Uh, no, not that I know of. So I have a, a six-year-old and my, my little baby girl turns two in about two and a half, three weeks. And one of the things we noticed with both children which is really frightening because A, we didn't learn for the second one. Um, my wife and I noticed that at about like eight months, you know, for sure a year up to, you know, a year and a half, two years, most definitely. One of the first things your child does, other than saying mama or dada or hi, or, you know, you know, cute little giggles is when you walk away from a table, what do they do? They hand you your phone. Almost as if you leave a limb, almost as if someone cut off your arm and it was just left on the table uh. and, the, and the baby wouldn't know any better and be like, mommy, daddy, like you forgot your arm, take your arm. And, 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 you know, that is just an example of, of how we don't even realize how impactful. hand your phone. Here's your phone. They, they, the idea that we leave our phones for any minute. And if there's other parents out there, I guarantee you they've seen the same things. And that is frightening. That's a frightening example of how much I'm on my phone. So also with my wife, but I mean, my wife also works and, you know, we're busy, busy trying to be around our children and focus and present or not. And I go back to that word present. We're just not present anymore. And one of the things with the wisdom truffle we really want to do, and it's this really neat, far-fetched idea that is becoming a massive reality and the marketing on this thing will be key for us because if we can market the crap out of this well, we think it can be game changing in terms of, uh, you know, purchased and, and in terms of maybe, you know, hopefully like kind of influencer support and really setting a social cause, like a cool little movement here. 
And the wisdom truffle is this really beautifully designed, call it, you know, mushroomy, kind of psychedelic-y, but artistic, most importantly, designed, uh, really. That was designed by Karen. He is a named Time Magazine's structural designer of the Americas. Super cool dude, really amazing designer, brilliant guy. And he designed this thing, and Sarah Hashkis and the team are not only making it beautifully artistically, but are making it functional. So some of the stuff we're doing is having, you know, virtual reality put into or sort of augmented reality put into it where you would like hold your phone up to it and you would get messages from this wisdom truffle. And I will, you know, maybe you'll splice in a little picture of it, like on B-roll here or something but for people to see. And we'll kind of talk back to you to give you these encouraging messages of, hey, leave your phone with me, put it in a charging slot. It's going to be safe. Go outside, do some yoga connect with a friend, go for a walk, all these kind of, you know, don't bring your phone. Um, so we really want to be uh, just super, it's the idea where you're connecting and then disconnecting. Um, and, and we want to remind people, but there's a life to live. And the part of that life to live is trying to recreate what we call the I microdose lifestyle, which is connecting to your environment around you, taking less of the focus on you, being more focused on others, being more focused on the environment. Listen, we're even, we've even hired this really interesting lady who's putting in this very special technology that will be able to determine based on the grid of your, of your power supply in your city of when uh, carbon emissions are at an all-time high. So it's, it will, it'll give you a little alarm where you can go and then just do your part. Shut off your dishwasher, shut off all your lights, unplug things, you know, just, just be a part of community because I don't know if you saw the crazy report that came out today. Yeah, IPCC, but, right? Um, um, it's like red yeah. alert. Yeah, very not good. It's, it's honestly, bro, I mean, it is, it is catastrophic yeah. and, and uh, it's very frightening. So as a company, one of the things Red Light Holland is trying to do, and listen, we're a publicly traded company. So of course, bottom line is the most important thing. Shareholders want their value and they want to see their value go up quarter over quarter over quarter. But we are set, and, 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 and this is a mandate of ours, to work like, say, a David Bronner does at, at Dr. Bronner's Magical Soaps, is to really use our money and our message carefully. And there can be community donations. There can be maybe charitable donations. There can be giving back. You know, we, we want to work very carefully with the funds we have and hopefully quarter over quarter growth in terms of making a difference in this world. And, and maybe that takes a little extra time for people to catch on, but we are confident as a company that the earned media in it alone will get us more recognition than just trying to um, market and, 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 and maybe sell more product, meaning that we think we're going to get a lot of recognition for these little, little great initiatives that we have as a company to help this world. And we want to help people mentally. We can't make those medical claims and we want to help the environment as much as we can. Yeah. Well, I like that idea of earned media. I talked about that with Bruce a little bit. It's like actually doing something interesting rather than, you know, paying to get a press release promoted or something like that. And I, what you guys are doing with this stuff is definitely a great example of earned media. And I, I like that idea of, um, you know, it's not enough to just put the phone down. It's like, put the phone down and then like, here's a nudge to go and like do something to, you know, help lower this red alert climate risk that we're all facing right now. Um, that, that's super cool. And I will say that- By the I way, have, people yeah. want to see them, sorry to interrupt you, wisdomtruffle.com. Wisdom you can even sign up for pre-orders. We're getting a significant amount of pre-orders, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, there's even a thing called like a heart rate, a uh, heart sensor, heart, heart rate, I don't even know what it's called now, a heartbeat sensor where you like would- the beat of your heart, even if you're not there and say your son has the wisdom truffle, you can see the, your son's heartbeat to the wisdom truffle from a distance, like all these really careful, thoughtful, neat little, it's well, one of them's going to have a Bluetooth speaker too. Right. So it's also, there are functions. like three different, I'll, I'll put a picture in the video, but there are like three different sizes of them, right? There's like the one that's almost the size of a table. Then there's a little handheld one. And then there's sort of an in-between one that all, and they all sort of have different features. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, meditation aid, companion figure. If people know cause, K-A-W-S, that went completely viral and these art pieces sell for literally tens of thousands of dollars, some of them, they create a market of their own. We're really confident, Brom, where this can go. Yeah, and I I saw, at least from one of the pictures, uh, you mentioned it has like a phone charging slot, but what's different than just plugging it into a regular cable is like, you kind of put it inside the mushroom in order for it to be charged, is that right? And so you can't actually use your phone while it's charging, which is what you normally do, right? 
And um, exactly, man. Yeah. And I've, I've, you know, definitely been in an abusive relationship with my phone and I've tried, there are lots of apps you can download that are supposed to help you limit screen time and none of them work. The one thing that actually worked for me was buying this literal, like, I forget what it's called, but it's like a locking Tupperware that you can set a timer. So you like put it in the Tupperware and you lock the lid for like an hour and then I'll go outside. So I, I think this idea of having like a literal physical segregation between you and the phone is like kind of the only thing that works for a lot of people. And so this thing, the fact that there's something like that, that is also related to psychedelics and mushrooms to me, is just like super cool. And I, now that you say that there's pre-orders, you know, you might see a pre-order with my name on it coming in pretty soon. <laughs> it, it looks pretty cool. Um, and then you Thank also, you, in, in addition to that, there's also um, some, some app uh, that you're working on. Is that right? That maybe tracks the results of microdosing that allows people to sort of self-report the effects of microdosing and meditation and that sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, it's been active for a few months now. Yeah. Um, we do, we do, we've had users, significant amount of users, in my opinion, use it. And yeah, it, it, it back to the company being kind of really cautious and careful and thinking of community, it, it, you would have to like sort of use a toggle to allow us to get your data. It's not just taking your data. And a lot of that is having users in the Netherlands that buy the microdose product and then have this ability to use the app. And by the way, even if you don't buy the microdose product, you know, I think that they're allowing other people to use the app to, to kind of learn behavior. So yeah, we want to learn behavior. There's body predictive movement pattern behavior that Sarah Hashkas can speak way more in depth for. Meaning though, like if you're hunched over one day, it's determining that you're a bit depressed and down. But if you know your shoulders back, you're acting all confident, like this type of really interesting data that we can collect. And we are collecting. And again, I'm not want to, you know, I don't want to overly. But to me, it's kind of like a live clinical trial. We actually get to work with people using psilocybin now of the natural occurring product and, and being able to learn from them and, and help find people's dose. And, and we filed a patent for that as well is, you know, if we can find individuals dosages and if you have certain similar properties or you're from similar backgrounds or similar age groups or weight groups or these types of things, we can really maybe even help determine and, and predict for people what would be a better, more consumable dose to help work for them in a microdosing fashion. Yeah. I think that's huge. Um, the idea of like customized dosing is something that I think is overlooked. Um, but it's like so important, you know, just like how people, are very sensitive to different levels of caffeine. Some people prefer the double espresso. Some people do the single. Some people do decaf. Um, I, I think the same is true for um, psilocybin and the idea that like everyone is just going to do three grams or one gram or five grams, depending on some dosage. Generic dosing guide is kind of ridiculous. Do you think that the data that is gathered from this app can eventually be used um, as part of like a real you know clinical trial that maybe? I don't know that necessarily goes to the FDA, but can actually be published in some sort of study saying like, here's the efficacy of microdosing based on like all of these different factors. Because I've, I've seen, you know, some companies out there sort of go after this idea of like distributed clinical trials where the users are sort of self-reporting, but that they get a big enough sample size that they're actually able to draw like real inferences from this data and publish it. Do you think that that's a route that um, Red Light Holland goes down? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll be careful how I answer this question, but do I think it could be? Yes. Okay. Uh, um, would Red Light Holland work towards trying to figure out ways that this could be best utilized? I, I think that is a, a big strategy of ours. I don't mind saying okay. nothing material there. That, that, that there's definitely a reason for us to be collecting yeah, data. Yes, for sure. So getting back to the actual supplement, vitamins, supplements, medicine, whatever you want to call it um, itself. What do you think is the future for the recreational market of psilocybin? Does it stop at just mushrooms and, you know, ground up mushrooms and pills? Or do you think that we see a lot of like combination products, psilocybin plus lion's mane plus this other thing, or, you know, beverages? I've seen some people working on vapes of psilocybin. Do you think that um, those like maybe alternative delivery systems or combination products, maybe even psilocybin plus cannabis products and one edible or one beverage, do you think that those ultimately will be the big money maker? in the long run? Or do you think that um, people will just be happy with the mushrooms by themselves? Great question. And, and I think that everybody has an individual choice. There are those who still love to roll their own cannabis joints. Absolutely love it. And, and would never, ever consider having cannabis in any other form. But then there's many who obviously buy the gummies, buy the edibles, or buy the pre-rolls. So yeah, I think that you're going you're gonna to see um, a great market over time, eventually open up. And, and I think that you're going to look at it on all sorts of angles. So 
The, the thing, though, that is most interesting to me, Brom, is when you see companies talk about these different delivery methods, even though that there's zero places in the world that you're really allowed to do it that way. So I, I find that a lot of companies are kind of putting the cart before the horse. And I don't quite understand, maybe this is me, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm acting resentful or anything here, but I kind of don't understand why they're even newsworthy uh, releases. It's, it's kind of like, you know, me saying in, in, in X amount of time, I'm going to have a product um, and, and knowing that that product's not even available anywhere. So, so I think the key is where and how is the product available now? And that's what Red Light Holland is focused on. These types of extraction and delivery methods, they're really not that complicated. I mean, if you get anyone who knows what they're doing in the cannabis field or even other sort of food product field, it's very simple to grind up a mushroom and mix it and have it in a formula. It's not an easy, it's not a hard thing to do. Um, so delivery methods kind of make me laugh um, right now, because then again, I don't think people are respecting the laws, meaning even in the, in the Netherlands, you're only allowed consuming the magic truffle in its raw, unprocessed, natural form. So for us to come out to, with a press release and say, hey, I'm going to grind it up and do this. And it's like, that's a waste of my resources right now. Maybe it would be good for R&D with Mira. And we can talk about Mira in a second with in St. Vincent. But right now, I want to get product on the shelves and sold. So that's what we're focused on. Yeah. But yeah, they'll all be moneymakers down for sure. Gotcha. Well, like you said, let's talk about um, the merger with Mira and uh, St. Vincent and all that. I, I read some of those press releases surrounding it. What What is sort of the, for those who aren't familiar with uh, this thing, what, what is Mira? What exactly is the synergy between Red Light and Mira? Can you kind of dig into that a bit? For sure. So uh, Mira went down to St. Vincent and worked very closely with the government there, St. Vincent and the Grenadines, which is a Caribbean country, I would say, call it, well, it's actually like 32 islands and keys. Um, closest point of reference for some who haven't heard of it would be Bahamas, uh, but like a 25 minute commuter flight. And it, it is amazing working with that government of Mira. So Mira went down there. They found out that the government wanted to create a modern wellness industry, they're calling it. And, and they thought, well, hey, let's like work with you on regulations. Let's work very carefully with you and, and set kind of what these rules and regs look like. So they got issued a license to be able to do research and development and to be able to import and export and to work with psychoactive substances that are all natural occurring, um, which is psilocybin, but then many others like MDMA and ayahuasca and peyote, et cetera. The list goes on, turmeric, you name it. So there's a lot of different you know, certain natural occurring products that now Red Light Holland, who announced the signing of a definitive agreement with Mirror Life Science, will be able to set up shop in St. Vincent and in, in the Netherlands. So, you know, the goal would be to set up a small lab to do some, you know, you can even see in our milestones, part of it is like testing and importing and extraction. Um, could there be a retreat in the future, supplying retreats that sort of all would fall under that license for sure. Stuff that we're very carefully looking into with use of proceeds and, you know, a lot of great opportunity. We think, quite frankly, more opportunity to work with what we, we are seeing with this Mirror Life Sciences uh, license um, that we could do in St. Vincent that we think many of the other companies could do in Canada and the United States. I got to go through a lot of protocols. We have direct lines right to the government who want us, quite frankly, to invest in their country and to be very progressive within this modern medicinal industry to try and make huge positive change. So we're re really excited about what's, what we think can happen with Mirror Life Science. So it's a regulatory advantage. They're willing to make it easier for people to do research on these compounds. Are compounds like psilocybin and DMT legal in St. Vincent, or are they just easier to get access to than they are in you know, the United States or Canada? Do you know? Yeah. So right now it would be, you wouldn't be able to use the stuff recreationally. Okay. Like that would be a, a considered illegal for sure under their governmental regulatory framework. Um, what we would be working towards would be prescribing microdose packs, call it to patients, sort of like their cannabis program. So there's still a few things to iron out entirely, but we do know that the R&D is there. We do know the ability to import and export um, is there. For instance, let's import our product from the Netherlands and then where could we export it to? Maybe Jamaica, you know, we'll look into things like this. So we're very excited about this huge long-term potential that we see with Mirror Life Sciences. And, and we're very grateful to the St. Vincent and the Grenadines government uh, who have worked so closely with our team 
Uh, and it's been months and months of working close with our team to ensure that this modern medicinal industry goes through. Yeah, it is interesting to see, you know, a lot of those um, <clears throat> nation, those island nations are sort of famous for being like tax shelters. But then now there's this sort of like new thing that's popping up that's almost like they're like drug research shelters. You know, they're like, oh, we'll open up our laws to make it easier to do research on this sort of substance in exchange for, you know, investment. So that, that's kind of an interesting thing that I never would have really predicted seeing, but it's pretty cool. And, you know, you're starting to see this pop up in Jamaica. Some companies have research labs there. And yeah, fascinating sort of like rabbit hole in the psychedelic industry. Um, you mentioned not a short interrupt, but yeah. on, on top of it being, you know, for investment purposes, just for a government, I, I would say a lot of it is culturally, right? Like there are a lot of indigenous routes uh, from, you know, certain parts in the world have worked with natural occurring products and natural occurring plants and fungi for forever, for since the history. And um, I think it, it holds true to their beliefs as well, a really strong belief system and that there should be ways to rediscover um, how important certain plants and fungi, even of the psychoactive ingredients are. No, I think that's a good point. And I certainly didn't mean to you know, trivialize it by saying it's just for investment. But yeah, I think that, you know, those places do care a lot about wellness, health, and, um, you know, reconnection with the plants. So it's cool to see that happen. Um, you mentioned it when you were sort of going through that uh, list of substances, you mentioned turmeric. And I saw um, on the press release, it mentioned some other things like coconut, things that you would not normally associate with, you know, DMT, for example. What is sort of the, what is the future of those substances? Are those going to be researched as well for, is there, you know, maybe undiscovered potential of things like turmeric? and other herbs that we normally wouldn't consider psychoactive? Yeah, one of the things we wanna be super careful of at Red Light Holland is, is burning through too much money for research, right? And, and if you look at you know, quarterly reports or financial year ends for some of these companies who are pure pharma, I mean, it's the, the exorbitant and astronomical numbers that they spend quarter over quarter, like just, you know, I shake my head. I'm like, I, I don't think I'd be able to stomach that type of burn. Um, and, and so, yeah, is there a goal to for sure research as many different psychoactive substances as possible? I think so. I think let's just, I, I always tell people I'm a very slow and patient guy. It's a, you know, it's a story I gave that Tim Cook once said about, about investing when he found out that Warren Buffett invested in Apple and he gave the little anecdotal story saying, listen, at the end of the day, we're here for every single shareholder. But when you find out that a guy like Warren Buffett invested, it's not necessarily that it's just Warren Buffett, but it's his mentality of a long-term investment that we truly appreciate and align ourselves with Apple because we look at ourselves as a long-term company. And that's how I look at Red Light as a long-term company. So I want to be super careful. Let's start with psilocybin with the Mirror Life Sciences uh, and St. Vincent. Let's, you know, be careful about, you know, what we learn, how we discover it. And then once we get our systems in place, and again, this is down the road and we still got a couple of things to iron out here, but um, yeah, we'll certainly explore the idea of working with all these other substances. But if it's going to cost our shareholders crazy and exorbitant amounts of money without seeing a return, I would probably say, well, let's, you know, let's pass on that for now. Okay. So the focus is on psilocybin for the foreseeable future. Um, in terms of other mergers, there's the, um, you know, Cresso Pharma plus Red Light Holland equals hybrid labs. Can you, can you speak a little bit to that? Yeah, uh, I can tell you that there is uh, an insane amount of work that goes behind the scenes, not only before you announce the deal, but then once the deal is announced is in getting the deal done, um, you know, lawyers from all different continents, uh, pretty much daily calls, um, a lot of back and forth, uh, obviously being written up into a circular right now, which ends up going into a vote for both the Australian side and the Canadian side of shareholders or shareholders anywhere. But for the, that's where those two companies are established, respectively, it would be Cresso in Australia and us here in Canada, um, Red Light. And, and yeah, it, it's, it's, it's amazing to see their work and, and their forward thoughts on working with both cannabis and psychedelics. And there's is more on the research development and potential clinical side of things as they're looking to get a controlled dealer's license with their wholly owned subsidiary, which is called Hallucinix. And that's in Halifax in, in Canada out east. And, and so we, we like the team. Um, you know, still a lot of work to do. 
And, and it, it is amazing how much work. And we've always told people that it, it would be expected to close, call it late September, October. So lots of legal work right now. And, and you know, especially on the, on the Australian side, Brom, they are they have a lot of extra work they have to do when they're filing for stuff like this. Mm. So it really is amazing what their team has to go through and get through right now. Okay. And I think... If, if I'm correct if I'm wrong, but Bruce Linton is going to be the, is it the chairman of the advisory board of that entity once, if, assuming, of course, the deal goes through? Is that is that correct? Or Yes. So assuming yeah. it goes through, he would actually come on as the chairman of the board of directors. Chairman of the board of directors. Sorry. So Bruce. Yes. Yeah. Don't be sorry. No, no. It's all good, man. He, he currently is our chairman of the advisory board. The the ironic part about that, Brom, is, is that Bruce... You know, I don't want to speak on behalf of Bruce. Well, he's very excited about this potential. He loved, like, we work so closely together. I mean, Bruce and I had a 45-minute call just earlier today. And, and uh, we do it every Monday, but I would say two, three times a week, unless he's trying to take some time with his family. And you've never met a harder working guy. So I encourage him sometimes to go and spend more time with your family even. But um, Bruce Bruce loves working closely with me. And ironically, when you're on the board, you, you sort of kind of don't want to micromanage. You let management do their own thing. And the board is there, obviously, for very certain approvals, and especially the big approvals, and almost, if anything, set parameters. So so the joke between Bruce and I is like, oh, we, you know, we, we better not lose this incredible working relationship that we have right, right now. Yeah, because I mean, I've, you know, I've only spoken to Bruce a few times, but every, even like the 30-minute times that I've spoken with him, they've been like extremely packed with information, like more, more information-dense conversations than I've had with most people. So I'm sure that he provides a lot of value in that like close touch relationship and it, can you speak a little bit more to like what it's maybe like to work with Bruce and that sort of thing and what sort of you know input he provides on on things yeah listen i mean we have an incredible mentor to all of red light holland uh, shareholders. And, and for those considering, you know, our company as, as a potential investment, of course, do your financial due diligence and advice, get financial advisors, all this kind of stuff. But, um, you know, I can't think of a better individual to, to have as a go-to, you know, maybe he's the general manager and I'm like, you know, the, the coach, and then we got a captain like a Will May or something. I could give any analogy, you know, I, I want, but he's just there. He's there for me. He's there for us. And, um, you know, sometimes I laugh because sometimes people will think that this is a Bruce Lenton led company. It's not by any means. It's it's a Todd Shapiro led company for sure. Um, I'm making, you know, a lot of the decisions and putting them to my board and putting them to Bruce and going to Bruce with ideas first. And then Bruce will come to me with a lot of ideas. And then, you know, I'll kind of be the ones that, that says, should we green light this or not? Um, but he's just there. And, and there's no ego on this guy. You think of a success. I don't even know what his financial worth is, but his net worth has got to be worth Large. a lot more than most <laughs> yeah. of ours. And, and listen, he took a, he took a company to like a $25 billion market cap at some point. And, you know, we, we all know how well he's done. His success speaks for itself. And for me, what is the greatest thing I've learned? And this, this sort of carries over into my media days too, is, is being able to have met kind of the cream of the crop on the planet when it comes to net worth. Um, it's not about material things. It's not about, it's not about, you know, even their image or perceptually, you know, what they are or aren't. It's really about the communication and the access sometimes you do get with these individuals. And likely there's a reason why they got to where they're getting. And and many of them and, and the ones that I've had luckily in my life love to share that information, man. And love to, and love to pass down lessons learned and life experiences and business experiences. And to me, um, beyond the business with Bruce, like he gives me so much information that helps a rookie CEO of a publicly traded company stay calm or make right decisions or allow me to focus and allow me to really have direction. So, um, and, and by the way, even just supporting my decisions by going, oh, great move. Love that one. Like that's a simple little, that means it's a good lot to have that confirmation. Absolutely. Yeah, it really is. And, and Bruce gives a lot of great confirmation that way. He's really impressed with how hard we're working. Um, and, and, you know, he shows it to me how hard he continues to work. So it just all filters and passes down. He's, what can I say, man? He's the fucking best. Yeah. It's the greatest heaven, Bruce. Like, it's amazing. That's cool, man. That's, you're in a very unique situation and, um, it's a pretty awesome ride that you're on. So I just have a couple more questions that relate a little bit more to, you know, just the, the stock market type stuff. Um, and the, and the real business side of things. So one question that you see people talk about a lot on Reddit and, you know, the forums that discuss these psychedelic companies is, you know, for all that red light has going for it, the revenue is, you know, the revenue is pretty low. 
So what does it take to get the revenue, you know, up to, you know, millions of dollars per year? Yeah, listen, and and it's uh, growing. I think we grew 535% over our last reports. And um, we're very, very pleased with what we're doing. We also couldn't report on our SR wholesale company that we bought. So we were really clever in buying. And we think we got incredible value for it too. A company that is, I think, doing approximately 130 to 150,000 euro in sales a month. Um, we talked about that on our last press release. So I, I'm, I'm allowed to kind of talk about that. That's unaudited numbers. So, you know, right there, we think that significantly that would increase our revenues on our next report. Um, we are looking into these really so that, you know, SR Wholesale is big, a distribution company, if you think about it. We're distributing a ton of products and a ton of products legally and a ton of products to a ton of stores, really, and a, and a well-run oiled machine, you know, so something that we will look to increase and grow as well. Um, and, and we love SR Wholesale. So that's one of them. Um, the other thing we've done really well is we've focused on purchasing revenue generating companies. So you look at a company like Happy Caps, which is also in Halifax, and it's just homegrown mushroom kits, not illegal magic mushroom kits. Um, one day, though, maybe if the Canadian government allows people to have homegrown psilocybin the same way they allow them to have homegrown cannabis, well, guess what? We have the guys who could probably get that done for you. Then you could buy the kit right. down the road. Yeah, I've seen the kits. They um, look super cool. You know, I kind of want to get one and try it out. I'll send you, I'll send you, you're, listen, you're doing, you just reached out to me. I'm not paying you for this. I'll send you a few compliments. Ah, just, you know, appreciate that. You get great growth and show Okay. hundred percent, man. I'd love, I'd love to be able to do that. And so, so we're looking at, you know, really increasing the revenues and sales for these home grow kits, go to happycaps.ca and you can get them on Amazon, huge, you know, great reviews, really fun project, whether you're an urban dweller in a small condo and want some beautiful growth to go in then and cook with, or if you're a mother of two kids like i you know i know part of our business you might not want your kids to learn about yet but i'm sure you don't mind some oyster or shiitake mushrooms growing in your kitchen and your kids thinking that was really neat that all they did was have to spray it and missed it and contributed to you know something they can eat later so really neat stuff um and it really talks about sustainability and talks about farming and you know such an important market we also announced a non-binding loi with a company called aem um, which is a farm out in New Brunswick, Canada. And in that announcement, we talked about how they're guaranteeing us the first significant part of sales. So we're really excited about being mushroom farmers because um, this can get us into significant revenue generation. And, and we love the fact that we would be in, you know, it's, you know, I think we announced a non-binding, but it's uh, obviously we're working on, you know, getting that into a definitive. Um, I think we've closed on every deal we've ever announced except one small one. And that we, you know, was in our prospectus that it didn't follow through. So we're, we're a company of our word and that AEM where we'd be working with literally some of the biggest mushroom producers on the planet, people with distribution channels, people with uh, political connections, uh, individuals and business uh, men and ladies who have, who have literally made multiples of millions of dollars within the mushroom industry. So we're really excited about that venture. And, and um, you know, I think that we're really concentrated, Brom, on, on these revenue generation focused businesses. And, and that's what we'll be doing at Red Light Holland when we seek potential M&A opportunities is looking to always grow revenue. And how does that work for our shareholders? Well, that would hopefully increase their shareholder value by having that repeated quarter over quarter growth, not just burning through five, eight, $10 million a month on research. Um, and I'm not, I'm not crapping on the research. I think it's all important. But I can tell you, uh, with all the companies that are in that space, and you even said it earlier, maybe we're the contrarian one, or maybe we're the polarizing company, at least we're focused on revenues. Yeah, absolutely. You have the potential to generate revenues potentially long before a lot of these pure pharma plays do. Um, also, from an investment perspective, would you say that Red Light Holland is undervalued relative to you know where it should be? And if so, which I'm assuming your answer is yes, what is it that the market and investors should understand about Red Light Holland to help them understand like where its true value is? Is. Yeah, listen, I, I, I mean, I don't like to price project and maybe I don't play that game enough of being like that overly confident CEO who tells you we should be at 90 cents a share. And this is where I'm marked because I, I hear other CEOs do these interviews and I'm like, man, they're bold. Like I can't like they're bold. Um, do I, you know, listen, do I think that we're working very hard? Do I think that we showed quarter over quarter growth and also made great investments you know, in, in our last report that I think we had 1.3 million in realized uh, gains in some of our investments alone? And do I think we're careful with our burn? We announced recently we had close to $30 million. Um, and do we have an incredible team? 
And, and back to what Tim Cook said with Warren Buffett, you know, would we love to see this alignment with great investors that realize it's a very careful, patient process, one that we're confident in that over time, you know, we can increase shareholder value. Of course, I'm confident in that. I've never been more confident. So by way of that, does that make me feel like we're undervalued to companies that are just burning money and not showing revenues? Yeah, I guess it does. Um, but I want everyone to, you know, think about that carefully and speak to a financial advisor. But we're really, we're, yeah, we've never been more confident though, man. Like, honestly, we're, we're, we're a cohesive unit and we're an innovative team and we are, I think, doing things that over time people are really going to go, wow, you know what? Yeah, this is pretty cool, pretty cool company. Yeah, I'm, I Hard believe it. Up, so. um, are there any plans for uh, Red Light to maybe be listed on some larger exchanges in the near future? No. No. Um, right now, we're comfortable being on the CSE. Again, we're a company that's in REC. So, you know, it would be difficult to get mm. up onto a NASDAQ and stuff. Gotcha. Um, of course. Uh, uh, do you know, are there other bigger boards? Maybe that gives us more access. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. But with this being said, we also uh, potentially could get into THC in America. Um, the CSE allows you to do that. I don't even think the TSX allows you to do that yet back here in Canada. So there are a lot of advantages for us being on the Canadian Securities Exchange for now. And um, as well, listen, there's a lot of costs that go in with uplisting. You know, you got to go and get different, you know, listing fees. Um, legal fees, you know, monthly fees, all this kind of stuff. And I can tell you that there's a lot of hype for a lot of the other companies who got listed onto the NASDAQ and stuff. But ever since, I would say most of them have actually come down in value. Um, so if people look at the, uh, uh, a lot of people sell the news in those situations too. Uh, absolutely. We're just focused. Our heads, yeah, man, bro, we're just, we're just literally focused on running a business. And, and, and maybe there's a whole stock game that you're supposed to play. Um, and investors maybe like that stock game that a lot of the companies play. But, you know, for us, we, we think that over time, we're going to be, no one's worried on our side. We're, we think that we're going to be just fine. Yeah, I think one thing that a lot of people need to understand is people that talk about these stocks on, you know, Reddit and Discord is that the company doesn't change when it moves on to a different exchange, right? It's like, it's the same company at the end of the day. So, uh, you know, it shouldn't, the exchange shouldn't matter too much in the long run. So I think that, um, but at the same time, people love the hype. But as you said, a lot of those companies have, they love the they, hype. a lot of those companies have pulled back since their uplistings. Um, but for people that are one, one know, thing that's neat for us we just got accepted on uh, well simple i heard oh, sorry cool. apparently you can buy and trade our, our securities on well simple that was an update i got recently all right so wealth simple users check that out post in the comments um for those who are into watching the stock though what are the sort of some upcoming catalysts that people might want to you know mark on their calendars for the next you know three to six months like what are the big um you know big events that might be happening in the, in the near term yeah, clearly there's a few major ones that we've announced. So AEM um, and and having that AEM Farms, which we'll we'll rename to Red Light Farms. Um, that that we think you know once we hopefully close, I you know I can't see anything going wrong, but you never know. So I so I'll be careful how I say that. Um, wait till we get into a definitive with that. I think that's a big catalyst. Obviously, following the hybrid lab story is a very significant one for a lot of shareholders. So I would encourage everybody to follow that story very closely. And, and to, you know, ensure that you're being informed and educated on exactly what that deal is um, and, and looking in the involvement with the team of that deal and including a Bruce Linton backed deal. I mean, I can't, I can't imagine people going, okay, well, Bruce Linton wants to come on as a chair. Uh, maybe it's not a good deal. I just don't think a guy like Bruce would want to put his name on it if, if it wasn't. Uh, and, and even with that being said, look at Bruce's involvement with our company right now. Uh, which is huge as the chair of our advisory board and working so closely with me. So, I mean, the catalyst, um, Mirror Life Sciences, is, I think is a big one, um, looking about what we can do in the R&D area. So, you know, at some point, I think people start to realize that Red Light Holland isn't only focused on revenue generation, but focused on making news that sort of some of the other companies can make in the sector can make news on, which is in the R&D field, um, you know, potential data collection from our app, trying to work carefully with regulatory authorities and bodies. Is there an opportunity for red light there? And, and really how we use our cash. We're always M&A focused. I have an incredible uh, you know, individual on our team, our executive vice president and chief, uh, chief of, of M&A, who is Will Lay and looking at, you know, what I think are already some really neat potential opportunities, nothing material because they're just potential. Um, and, and, you know, how we carefully use our cash and stock to, to work with companies. So um, we're always being innovative, Brom. We're always being creative. We're always trying to think outside of the box. 
And we're always trying to come back to that revenue generation to increase shareholder value. So I don't think that's ever going to stop. Awesome. Well, I love I love that focus on revenue. I love uh, all the different things you guys are doing. We've pretty much done an hour, Todd. Um, you know, I don't want to take too much of your time. Is there anything that you want to leave the listeners with before we, you know, go our separate ways today? The floor is yours. Uh, listen, man, I, I'm just really grateful for you having me on. And it's, it's funny for me to talk shop all the time. Like, I, you know, I wouldn't mind even if we got into like philosophical views on all this different type of stuff going on. In the world. That will be but, the next you podcast. Know, for me, we'll we are hard. Yeah, let's do it, let's dude. Do it. Because there's a lot of crazy stuff going on in this world right yeah. now. It's a, it's a really trying time. There's a lot of anxiety with COVID. Um, there's a lot of really, you know, tough stuff right now with climate change. I mean, I was reading some posts today where people are like, literally anxious to the idea that maybe their children won't live in a world that exists. Like it's yeah. this type of stuff that's happening right now. Mm -hmm. And for me, um, the most important thing I think is, is, you know, not necessarily about red light Holland, but it's people's views. Like I want to hear from individuals themselves about their usage of psilocybin, about them microdosing, about them hero dosing and, and, and be vocal. Like if, if you feel like a government should not limit your access to something that's helping you potentially, then, then, then you know, that should be your God-given right to take a plant from this planet, not have any, anyone limit your ability to do that. And I don't mind being the voice for that. I'm not one of these 20-year advocates like a Paul Stamets or, a, you know, Rick Doblin or all these guys. They've been going at it for a long time and I admire them. I admire the crap out of them. But I am here now as a company that's validating responsibly the usage of magic truffles and psilocybin and working carefully in terms of getting audited, getting prospectus deals where your companies turn inside out, uh, opening up the books, opening up your inventory, opening up your contracts, whatever we're doing to ensure that you can do this with regulation and you can do this with obviously government knowledge and then work together with these advocates, you yourselves who are the advocates to figure out a way where we can provide access now. And that's, that's what Red Light Holland's mission is. We're not going to stop. Support the move go to red light oh no i guess go to uh, imicrodose.ca for your merchandise um look for the wisdom truffle buy some happy caps products at happycaps.ca if you're in the netherlands go to imicrodose.nl and responsibly you can order yourselves the imicrodose packs if you're 18 plus um and look for i think keep your ear tuned you know down to the ground here onto the street as we like to say um we may not be all the academia but we're hustling making moves and we're excited um, down the road to, 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 you know, I think bring to the forefront things that we're working on carefully. I love it, Todd. I love what you guys are doing and I'm looking forward to following the journey of red light Holland and you personally, you know, over the coming months and years, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, man. And great job. Um, you do this really well, super, super great preparation and, and really make it easy for your guests as well, which is half the battle in these types of things. So thanks for making me feel comfortable. I had a great time. I appreciate it, Todd. You have a good rest of the day.